0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 115 of The History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and as always I'll be your host today. It is really great to be back, I must say. It's great to be back in my chair recording podcast episodes on a weekly basis. I am very much looking forward to the episodes I have in store. We've got some amazing guests joining the podcast this this season, in the next few weeks, months um, and I'm really really excited and I hope that you enjoy the episodes that are coming up uh, and enjoy the episode for today. Now you'll know from the title that this week's episode is all about Notting Hill Carnival but not quite Notting Hill Carnival, Carnival in London um, and specifically the first carnival at St Pancreas Hall and I thought I'd start with some words from the one and only Claudia Jones. A pride in being West Indian is undoubtedly at the root of this unity. A pride that has its origins in the drama of the nascent nationhood and that pride encompasses not only the creativeness, uniqueness and originality of West Indian mime song and dance but is a genesis of the nation itself. A people's art is a genesis of their freedom was a slogan used for the programme for the carnival in St Pancreas Town Hall on the 30th of January 1959. Following a long summer of deep-rooted racial tensions stemming from racist violence, riots and subsequent built-up anger, frustration and pain amongst black communities, especially in West London, the first ever Trinidadian-inspired carnival took place at St Pancreas Town Hall. The Winter Carnival coincided with Trinidad's Carnival, spearheaded in Britain by the Trinidadian-born activist and West Indian Gazette founder Claudia Jones and it was all televised by the BBC. Now Claudia Jones is often described as the mother of Notting Hill Carnival and I read something on the Google Arts and Culture page about Claudia Jones when I was preparing for this episode which said and I quote the diversity of her political affiliations clearly illustrated her multifaceted approach to the struggle for equal rights in the 20th century. And I couldn't agree more. Claudia Jones's name gets called in so many different iterations of movements for equal rights in Britain, in the US and in the Caribbean and Africa. Her name has been called so many times on this podcast alone. And I always love the way that, you know, she kind of pops up in Black British histories across such a wide span of activism. Um, And she's not the only person that's involved with um, a carnival in Zempancris Town Hall in 1959. There are other names as well, but as she'd founded the West Indian Gazette and kind of planted the seed for this carnival, she was the spearhead, she was the trailblazer when it came to getting carnival off the ground. I don't think you can really talk about carnival without talking about the West Indian Gazette, especially carnival in its early forms in London. Um, which was founded by Claudia Jones in March 1958, so nearly a year before Carnival itself was the publication founded. It fits into a long tradition of what historian Kaneta Hammond-Perry notes um, as London-based black internationalist periodicals. In London is a place for me. Following the likes of Dusé Muhammad Ali's African Times and the Orient Review, George Padmore's International African Opinion and Dr Harold Moody's The Keys, which came directly out of his organisation, The League of Coloured Peoples, which he's spoken about before on this podcast. Kaneta Hammond-Perry goes on to say that all these periodicals championed anti-colonialist and anti-racist causes in Britain and around the world, a lot of the time we speak about activism that was taking place in London and in wider um, Britain as being just for people in Britain, just for black people in Britain fighting racism. But actually it was the very, very big anti-colonial struggle that was happening at that time uh, as countries in Africa and countries in the Caribbean and in Asia were actually fighting to be free, to be independent. Um, And these anti-colonial movements definitely were um part and parcel with the struggle that was taking place in London. It is really clear in this kind of conceptualization of um activism that the transactional element for the fight for racial equality, um, was really really big and really strong and I would go further even to say that this is epitomised by the fact that part of the fight for racial justice or should we say the fight against racism in Britain features and then upholds carnival something so Caribbean rooted in African traditions that being the music the dance the food the dresser celebration is then picked up by way of the Caribbean and adopted for Britain to continue the fight for racial equality and to push back against the racial tensions that were taking place, especially in West London at the time. Following the violence of the summer of 1958, the editorial team led by Claudia Jones decided to plan the first Caribbean-style carnival in Britain for January 1959, some of the proceeds of which were dedicated to the Association for the Advancement of Coloured Peoples, the AACP, which was an organisation founded by Amy Ashwood Garvey and took its namesake from the uh, prominent US civil rights group, the NAACP. This was specifically to build a legal fund for black defendants in London. Now, Carnival in the Caribbean begins as a vehicle to challenge colonial rule. It originated during the period of enslavement, where the enslaved were banned from attending the masquerade balls and the parties of the white settlers and free people of colour before the Lenten season began. The enslaved, who could not take part in the celebrations, would observe them and decided to hold celebrations of their own, mocking those in turn. Their celebrations were held at the same time as the burning and harvesting um, of sugarcane and this period that consequently became known as Cannes Brûlées. Sorry for my French, it's awful. (laughs) And eventually Cannes The celebrations would include dancing, singing, costumes and the mocking of people that held those masquerade balls, the white settlers and free people of colour. Long after the slaves were emancipated by the British in 1838, the colonial administration continued to fight the now quote unquote Africanised carnival piece by piece. Banning at one time or another drums, masks and dancing in the street, which is kind of a similar story to how some people Think about Nothing Hill Carnival today, trying to ban bits of it piece by piece. Carnival, in its early iterations for African people in the Caribbean, has always been a form of resistance. And it's no different in its origins on British soil and today. A people's art is the genesis of their freedom, is the way Claudia Jones famously put it. And I think it really epitomises the nature of carnival, and the celebrations that it symbolises uh, from its inception to its kind of child, shall we say, Notting Hill Carnival, which we see today still going strong with its challenges, of course, but still present and still very much a part of our August bank holiday. Now you might be thinking, well, what did this carnival inside St Pancras Town Hall entail? What was it all about? It's definitely different to the carnival we Think of when we think of the Caribbean or even Notting Hill, you know, outside a procession, big floats, loud music, that kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, a lot of that was similar, even though it was inside. The event included masqueraders, steel pans, calypso, dance performances, and and what I'm gonna speak a lot about today, was a celebration of black women's beauty in the Carnival Queen Beauty Contest. And I will be using uh, Rochelle Rose, Imagining Caribbean womanhood, a lot in this section of the episode. Um, her work it examines the links between, should we say, racial politics and politics a little bit more broadly with beauty standards. And it is a cultural history, which is quite interesting because I don't think there has really been one. Um, of Caribbean beauty competitions, and it does start with the Caribbean, but the chapter I'm specifically looking at looks at um, the Carnival Queen beauty competition in London that started uh, with not with St Pancras Town Hall Carnival in 1959. Um, but the work more broadly uh, really does look at beauty standards, beauty competitions, the white Creole elite in the Caribbean. Colourism. it looks at the pigmentocracy it's a really interesting text and something that I would recommend you know I always like to recommend a good book but this is a great one Um, so do uh, grab that if you can also I mentioned Conetta Hammond Perry earlier in this episode's um, book London is a place for me Black Britain's Citizenship and the Politics of Race and that is another book that I would most definitely recommend it's one of those books I always go back to um, just to kind of shape my understanding of the politics of those initial arrivals in the post-war era. London is a place for me is a Calypso song that Lord Kitchener sang when the wind rush dark and it's made famous by that Pathé newsreel. Um, but it kind of takes that that song and that sentiment really and, and goes goes a bit further with it um, in, in um book uh, as it looks at Black Britons as kind of Their place and taking up their quote unquote rightful place in the metropole, and the ways in which the politics of race and citizenship and identity and the meaning of kind of what it is to be British all hinges on um, this arrival and their experiences uh, in Britain. Um, But it kind of takes that conversation a little bit further than had been done uh, with text in the past. It came out in 2016, but still remains. Top of my bookshelf and very relevant. So, another book if you would like. Now, back to the episode um, and these Carnival Queen beauty competitions. Now, Rochelle Rowe in Imagining Caribbean Womanhood says, and I quote Claudia Jones used the Gazette, Carnival, and Carnival Queen to affirm a diaspora Caribbean culture and identity. Central to the programme was her determination to bring more visibility to Black women's experiences not least by challenging racist beauty politics that marginalise black women. Jones sought to bring black women from the periphery to the centre, and that was arguably her intentions in creating these beauty competitions in the first place, which were a feature in the Caribbean and quite popular. Rowe notes that it was kind of strange, and I thought this myself, for a communist feminist like Claudia Jones to be affirming black femininity in Britain as a form of cultural and racial resistance which as i said i'd agree with and i always find it quite interesting that there was an element like carnival queen present in the first iterations of carnival on british soil considering claudia jones was the kind of organizer and the key founder of this um this event uh, roe goes on to argue that claudia jones's radical political vision affirmed black womanhood as a cornerstone of its anti-racist and community building work, which just kind of shows, and it goes back to what I was saying about the extent of Claudia Jones's activism and her ability to pull in from different elements and parts of society um, the things that people see as important that would help build up black people in Britain. And this being beauty standards and and race pride and how you see yourselves and your identity and how it's shaped by what you're told is beautiful and what you're told is to be um, kind of attained and, and to be aspired to. One of the things it most notably attempted to do was to challenge a pigmentocracy um, of the Caribbean and that being this idea that the lighter skinned you were the better that was and that was kind of a superiority to it and um, the Caribbean is very much and I'd say still a pigmentocracy um, not in all aspects of society but there is most definitely a case that beauty standards tend to hinge on on lighter skin and still more Eurocentric features even though it's literally 2023 um, and this kind of showed in the beauty pageants of the Caribbean where white women and lighter skinned women would win and and be the majority of contestants too and I guess as we go through this episode you can maybe think about whether it actually did challenge the pigmentocracy these Caribbean inspired pageants that took place um, in the earliest forms of carnival in Britain in its first year Um, In 1959, Carnival in London was televised by the BBC. But apparently there are no records of this that have survived. Mm. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. But, you know, we'll take their word for it. Um, Within this recording and this um, televised show, the first ever black beauty competition in Britain finds its way onto British TV. Um, and I think that is really interesting and important to note that not only is Claudia Jones creating this scenario where black beauty is to be celebrated and black women and femininity and womanhood is to be celebrated, but also it's going to be on the BBC. Um, and I wish there was a recording, I really, really do, so that we could see the way that that was maybe commented upon, maybe how it was portrayed to an audience that would have maybe not that much knowledge of how carnival kind of beauty pageants work. Sorry, Caribbean um, beauty pageants and beauty queen competitions worked. And even if they did have an idea of how things similarly worked um, in a British context, you know, they wouldn't have necessarily seen it with black women. These black women that had arrived in Britain were very much trying to conform as they had done in the caribbean with the pigmentocracy by way of straightening their hair and in some extreme cases or not even that extreme lightening their skin and trying to fit into eurocentric standards of beauty and here we are 1959 on the bbc celebrating a wider range um of black women um i say wider however um there are still you know some parts of that kind of brief that weren't really that much more Uh, progressive shall we say by way of uh, body types um, and and age and things of that uh, nature but we'll come back to that in a second. Just wanted to think about uh, the wider elements of the carnival and it obviously wasn't just a beauty contest and don't let this episode um, suggest that although it is the main focus. Um, You know there were also Trini Calypsonians, the Mighty Terror The headline act uh, was the mother of Trinidadian dance, Beryl McBurney, the West Indian Student Dance Band and Bosco Holders Dance Troupe, as well as other steel bands and singers. Um, When it came to Caribbean Carnival in London, there was, of course, a committee. It wasn't just Claudia Jones. Um, And uh, Rochelle Rowe notes some of the people that were included and those people, you know, were really, really big names in the Caribbean and also in Britain and in the kind of West Indian circles that found themselves in the creative scenes of London in the late 1950s. They included Nadia Katoos, uh, who's from British Honduras, um, Trinidadians Edric and Pearl Connor, who were founders of the first black theatre agency in Britain, London-born Jamaican English actor and jazz singer Cleo Lane, um, and Trinidadian musician and painter Boschko Holder, who I mentioned earlier. So you have all of these, not only um, people within uh, politics and activism. Claudia Jones, Amy Ashwood Garvey's and all these other people um, whose names kind of get into the mix of um, organising in Britain. You then have the other layer of the people that were involved in publications like the Gazette, um, the writers, the editors um, and that kind of level of activism. And then on top of that, you also have the creatives, the performers, the artists, the musicians, the singers, the dancers that all come together together. Um, to to create this carnival and on top of that we haven't even got into the business people yet and I'm not going to speak about them too much um, apart from one, one lady uh, who we will get into later Carmen England who is part of the contradiction I would say of carnival um, but essentially you have so many people within West Indian culture in Britain coming together to create this event that as Claudia Jones says, is the, the genesis of its people. The art is the genesis of its people. And here, here we have the people um, coming together within this art. Now, the imagery that surrounds a kind of Carnival Queen beauty contests really does challenge um, the... Caribbean um, iterations of these beauty contests as it was clear that this kind of unspoken colour bar of beauty contests would not operate uh, in London as it had in the Caribbean and in the pictures you can see uh, a range of skin tones and hair textures and facial features when we look at the women uh, that were taking part in these competitions. However there were definitely contradictions within this as black beauty yes it was celebrated on a televised stage But in its early years, it typically was still lighter-skinned or mixed-race women that would win. Although archival records from the time have suggested that those watching were noticing the darker-skinned black women that were present um, and still upheld as beautiful and completely contradicting the Eurocentric standards of beauty that had been prescribed to the Caribbean since its inception as colonies and nations under Europe's empire. However, there were other contradictions within the Gazette itself, um, which was spearheaded, as we said, by Claudia Jones. It featured an ad from a business owner, Carmen England, who was owner of a beauty salon and organiser, one of the organisers of said beauty competition at Carnival. Now, you'll never guess what her advert was for. And honestly, it really breaks my heart that this is the case. Um, It was for her own brand, her own product of, drumroll please, bleaching cream. Yes, bleaching cream, Ah, bleaching cream. So here we have um, this carnival um, that's celebrating black beauty in these beauty pageants and the advertisement that is running in the Gazette and funding in by way of advertisements and money going into the Gazette XYZ um, is kind of, yeah, pouring into this financially is actually an ad for bleaching cream which is, you know, pushed as a way of correcting your, your dark marks and your scars, but also if your skin tone is just not, not light enough. Um, Yeah, and that is obviously going out to an audience and a readership of, um, in part, working class, dark-skinned West Indian women that are now in Britain um, and having to see that and I just feel like it completely contradicts kind of everything that I was hoping that these beauty competitions would stand for. And I guess it is an ad in a way that maybe, I don't know if it featured in the carnival itself, surely not. It was in the Gazette. Um, but I don't want to make exceptions for it because I think that bleaching creams are, are vile. And, and they the companies that kind of push these lightening and brightening and bleaching creams... Now, even now, they still exist today um across cultures are really profiting off women's insecurities, men's insecurities as well, eurocentric standards of beauty, pushing white supremacist ideals, and ah ugh, ugh, I hate it um so yes, this was part of The kind of overarching story of of carnival that I couldn't leave out really because there's no point me telling you it was all sunshine and rainbows and black women were celebrated and dark skin was appreciated and valued and loved because that wasn't necessarily the case, unfortunately. Um, You know, they were a lot more inclusive. There were women that were of darker skin that would go on to win um, as time went on a little bit. Women with different facial features and... um, you know, Afro hair textures um all being showcased and celebrated as being beautiful. But, you know, this agenda was here being financially supported by an agenda that said black skin was not good enough and something to be corrected and that is, is quite problematic despite what um I'm sure Claudia Jones was trying to do. There was another element, which I haven't spoken so much about today, of the fact that it was still pretty much um, young and slim women that were taking part in these competitions. Again, not really pushing back so much against um, what these competitions look like in the Caribbean. However, I would say that that's pretty much still the case even till today. So the fact that they weren't, you know, size progressive uh, in 1959 maybe speaks to, to wider issues that obviously are still at play today. Um, now, I don't know where you fall down on this line. Um, I don't particularly love beauty pageants um, and rating women on their looks or whatever else happens at these pageants. Um, You can probably hear by my tone where I fall on the line of this, but I do think it's very interesting that these were used as a way of bringing marginalised West Indian women into the periphery and into the centre of beauty when it came to this carnival, um, which is something I mentioned earlier on in the episode, I I can't lose that whilst, you know, I have my disdain for, for pageantry and things of that nature. Claudia Jones did a very interesting and important thing in bringing black women into the centre um, of something that would go on to be so huge in London. You know, I think the way in which she undertook that first iteration of Caribbean carnival in London was always going to be the way it carried on, was always going to be such a strong, or a weak, you know, if she hadn't executed it well, foundation for carnival in this country. And thankfully, you know, the seeds of Caribbean carnival were planted by Claudia Jones at St Pancras Hall in January 1959. The seeds were unfortunately watered by the racism prevalent across the UK, Um, As time went on, especially in West London in the early 1960s. And as the year continued and Kelso Cochrane was murdered uh, with very little done um, to to find justice for him. Caribbean Carnival develops from that little seed planted by Claudia, celebrating Caribbean life in Britain and pushing back against the racism meted out at all angles, institutionally, individually, covert, overt um, in this country that the newly arrived had begun to call home as we get into the 1960s and bring their children to and carnival was a place for them to resist Um, and I hope that it remains a place for us all to resist as time goes on um, and we find ourselves generations on in this country. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, um, but I did want to update you before you went, unfortunately, about the outcome of Professor Hakeem Adi's fight for the Masters of Research of African History and the African Diaspora at Chichester University, and, and that course had been threatened with uh, termination, they had suspended enrolments um, and Hakeem's position was uncertain when he came on the episode for that emergency episode uh, 114 a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, um, as of the 25th of August 2023, uh, Professor Hakeem Adi has been made redundant at the University of Chichester. Um, the only professor of the history of Africa and the African diaspora in the UK. Um, and I just wanted to read a little bit from the uh, press statement that was released Um by the Save the Emirates campaign as part of the History Matters group, which obviously um, I've partnered with on this episode, on this podcast before, and you've listened to episodes with um, some of the contributors to History Matters uh, journal, um, which was founded also by Professor Hakeem. Um you can read the statement online on the History Matters website, but I thought I'd read out a little section of it that I think is quite pertinent to not only the work that Professor Hakeem has done and, you know, the work that we all aim to do uh, fighting for black British history um, and just to see these histories spoken about, taught about and referenced, um, Yeah. As we have stated throughout our campaign, Chichester's decision is a clear attack on the history of Africa, African and Caribbean people in Britain and globally, and we will continue our fight to hold the institution accountable for its discriminatory actions. We should also state that throughout this entire process, Chichester has not consulted its students or considered the impact this decision will have on their studies. Their position also completely contradicts their commitment to safeguarding students and their well-being. The decision to make Professor Adi redundant has plunged his postgraduate students, who are all of African and Caribbean descent, into an unknown future. Professor Adi's redundancy provides confirmation that the MRes will not be reinstated at Chichester, cutting off a -a one-of-a-kind pathway into the study of African and African diasporic history. It goes on to say, We refuse to give up and will continue to fight in defence of the integrity of our history which is under such a vicious attack in higher education and across wider society. And that's definitely something I've been feeling recently. Um, Of all of these courses and roles that have been put out in the wake of 2020, in the name of honouring the legacy of George Floyd and in the name of anti-racism, that have been, you know, started and founded, it just seems like the momentum has stopped And who cares now? Who cares about black history? Who cares about the diaspora, the African and Caribbean diasporic histories um, that people were so, so interested in back in 2020? And, you know... If you've listened to episode 114, you'll know that um, this course came about long before 2020. Um, It's been around. Professor Hakeem Adi's been around long before 2020 um, and has been consistently doing this work, even when it's not popular. Um, And I think that's just the case, isn't it? You know, we'll continue to do this work even when it's not popular, even when it's not trending, even when it's not marketable and and big companies want to throw money at it and brand it. Um, We will continue uh, because this history is important and this podcast will continue. And I'm sure the work of all those students on that course will continue as difficult as it will be. uh, We have to fight on. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Uh, If you've been to Carnival, have a great recovery. Put your feet up, drink some water and enjoy. Thank you. Goodbye.